Broadcasting from Hollywood, California. It's Grant's Rants, Hollywood Talk. This is the Season 12 Real Housewives of New York City Special Edition Rundown, all three parts of the reunion. Kate Casey goes in-depth with me in Part 1. We're talking about the franchise as it stands today. Each New York City housewife gets their moment. And later in Part 2, I give you my full one-on-one Roni Rundown. Let the ranting begin. It's good to have you with me. It's been a minute. I have uh, been going through some um, good things, but um, some personal changes that I will keep you all updated about. Just some business. Uh, and um, I've just been trying to enjoy the rest of what's left of the summer. During these crazy times, it's still extremely hot here in LA. That's the latest. But I have uh, all three parts of the reunion here for you for Real Housewives of New York City, including a chat with Kate Casey, the brilliant Kate Casey. She has such a great perspective. You know, on this show, I'm always trying to give you the real side of these shows and, and keep it real. We're not here necessarily to, to celebrate them. I mean, I, I enjoy them. I enjoy New York, but also I think it's important to be like, you know, we're, we're a smart, um, well, uh, educated viewer here. And, um, you know, we don't accept everything at face value. So, uh, Kate really lends a lot of great insight into everything from the contracts to the stardom, not just New York housewives, but in general, all of them and really like what it all means. So I can't wait to share her perspective with you. And then right after that, I'm going to go through and give you my rundown, just me and you chatting about the Roni reunion parts one, two, and three. I hope you enjoy this. Let the ranting begin. We are here. We're here at the very end of this season 12 of Real Housewives of New York City. Thank God. And who, to break it down with me, is the best person for the job, Kate Casey. Welcome back to the podcast. You know, I've just been thinking about it. I feel like you have the voice of the person that you want to just sit on the, the steps of like a Manhattan, like brownstone and just like kick it. And I really any topic, not just Real Housewives. That's like the biggest compliment because I'm like such an East Coast. I'm like so into that compliment. Thank you. Very kind of you. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I, I'm going to combine all these rundowns uh, for the recaps or the reunions into one. Um, I don't know how you feel about these reunions. I personally, before we get into it, I'm tired of watching people bicker and argue on TV. Now, we're recording this the same week of the the presidential debate. Yeah, that one. I'm just kind of over it. I'm tired of watching people fight on my television. Also, I think that in the first few years of the reunions, like the the first Real Housewives of Orange County one, it was great because... You didn't know these women, you followed their life story so that when they're reunited, you're really getting somebody who just had everything in their their life just totally shift. And you haven't heard from them, or if you have, barely anything. So you could get into the minutia, the things that they fight about off camera, and it made it really interesting. But in the last couple of years, there's so much fighting that goes on social media between housewives that by the time the reunion airs, it's like, mm, this isn't like fresh news to us. 
Right. I'm all for a reunion, but not, I don't think we need three parts. I, th- I think it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm all for like, let's catch up, blah, blah, blah. I don't mind it so much, but th- it's too long-winded. Uh, you know, they had to, they covered topics because uh, I outlined all three parts. I mean, they went back and then went back again to some of these things. I mean, it's a little much, but let's get into some highlights. What did you think of the reunion theme? Uh, the theme was of reunions past with various set pieces and trees and pillows all scattered all over the place i think it was a little bit too over our our heads you know we've been quarantined and it was really kind of exciting the idea of them all coming together like the old days on a couch and instead they're so far separated they throw all these rugs on the floor (laughs) i didn't even notice anything in the background because i kept thinking why do they have all these ugly rugs on the on the floor apparently it was from yesteryears but it was just it would have been just enough to have them on the couch for the first time in you know months and months. So I, I thought it was unnecessary. At first I liked the theme. I said, okay, like I matched it up with other reunions in the past. And, and then it quickly got very distracting for me because each woman had a totally different background over her shoulder. So I, you know, it took me a minute to adjust who had the big NYC, who had the, the candles, who had the Moroccan theme. It was kind of a lot, but I mean, they, I, I give them a little bit of credit. I mean, I, I actually thought it was a creative idea. The rugs though, bad idea. I'm not co-signing the rugs. No, but then you think it was at this castle. Well, by the way, what was the point of the castle? They I mean it was in page six, so it's going to be at the Ohana Castle where Joe, where you know, one of the Jonas brothers, was married. But when you get down the net, net is it was filmed in what looks like a warehouse. I thought so, it was a warehouse. Yeah, I what forgot was it. the point of the like spending all that money, bringing all this equipment out to a, a castle? Like if you're going to do it at a castle, they should have done it outside. Well, I did, that was totally lost on me. So yeah, that was a total F in my opinion because I thought they were in a, either in some sound stage, like I don't know, somewhere like out in Queens, or that they were at like you know just like a warehouse. So the fact that it was like a special location served no purpose. Who cares? Served no purpose, and I think that the outfits are just getting more and more ridiculous. There's no reason <laughs> that one should wear a prom dress after the age of forty unless you're at some sort of over the top wedding or a Met ball. So just to gather together to talk about what happened over the course of a couple of months of your reality television show is a little bit much. Are you referring to Tinsley's gown? I mean, like, wh- where are you going? Is this like <laughs> um, someone's drag funeral? Like, why are we so dressed up? I thought it was a bit much. Yeah, it's got like, you know, looking back at old reunions. I mean, you know, people dress professionally. They look nice. Now it's just ridiculous. It's yeah. it's really ridiculous. And and I didn't know Sonia. She had morphed into Ellen Barkin. Uh, I, a totally new look and new face. I think she looks good. What did you think? She looks the best she's ever looked. I, I suspect that dress she wore was something like some Sonia Morgan dress. I actually like really love one of her tops this season, too, which she told me was from Sonia Morgan. I never write housewives to ask them what they're wearing. That was like the rare, rare mm-hmm. occasion. But for the most part, I'm, I don't know. I just felt like it was a little bit, um, a, a little bit too much. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't necessary. I think they're at their best. It's in the quiet conversations that they say amongst each other. So this like extra over the top, like way of communicating is so unnecessary. But I, I feel like in the last couple of years, that a lot of these women encircle themselves with a team of people who encourage them to be extra in order to secure their jobs. So they don't seem to um, 
represent the same person that they were when they started the show. I mean, that usually happens. They all become monsters because of fame and the little right. bit of money that they make. But right. I feel like even more so, and I think it's the direct result of the meme culture. I think there's so many meme accounts now on Instagram that take pictures or videos and add language and, and treat them like these movie stars that it's all gotten into their, their heads. It's moved past the bleach into their actual cerebellum and have uh, like corrupted them. So it's not fun to watch middle-aged women who are not paid actresses to go out of the way to be so overt in their expressions and, um, gesticulations because they're trying to appease this imaginary audience. It's like, it's a little bit weird and sad at the same time. I love that point. I think you're onto something. I mean, these women, they don't even consider themselves public figures or celebrities. They, they call each other themselves icons. Icons. This has got to stop all of this nonsense. Like they're legends, they're icons. No, they're not. They're people who, as I always say, were plucked from obscurity and they were given a job on an ensemble reality show. And over time, they have led themselves to believe that they are big, big stars. They are Lady Menudo, and not everybody is Ricky Martin, and they don't understand it. And that's why when you see somebody like Dorinda get fired, I think they have a real meltdown. We're seeing that with Nini now because their identity is so wrapped in this this burst of success that they've had which isn't connected to any sort of skill set. And I mean, we people in media call them TV personalities now. Can you believe right. that? A TV, like, are you a TV personality? Because I just see somebody go on television and show me their, like, rental home, and then I see them on, a like, a wine trip. They're not really a TV personality. I mean, yeah. Mario Lopez is maybe a TV personality. I don't know if, like, one of these housewives is. Right. Yeah, it's it's too much. The meme culture has just exploded this to the point where you know you don't even know what you're watching anymore half the time. It's I, they, there was some stuff even in this reunion in the last part, which we'll get to, that really kind of showed just how manipulated and and dare I say fake, you know, these shows have become. Where now they're openly discussing it at the reunion. That's when you know you're going to overproduce show. And I've said this now has to be at least five years deep that I've been saying these shows will ultimately produce them show, produce themselves to death. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that the other problem is that, well, I can say this as like a woman with like kids and has similar lives in some respects to some of the women they choose to feature, although they don't seem to share a lot of my core values. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, their lives are no longer relatable. We like to watch Vicki Gumbelson and, um, and that girl, Joe De La Rosa, even though they would, have, or, uh, Kimberly and Joe De La Rosa first season of Real Housewives of Orange County. Although in no way in hell would they have ever met outside of the television show. It was interesting to see this somewhat class is class issue. She's younger. She's Peruvian. This woman's white. She's at a tennis club in her tennis skirt. She's married to somebody who is an executive and Joe is married to somebody in real estate. And there are the minutia that goes like, you know, the, the, the unspoken judginess of being in the real estate industry or title title business versus somebody who has a corporate job for, as Kimberly explained, a fortune, like what was it, like 100 company, um, the ageism, 
you know, there are a Mm -hmm. lot of things to unpack in that small moment. And now it's these women that we've seen season after season after season who are almost, it seems like making up fights just to be making up moments on television. You see them seated at a long table at a over the top costume party that I hear was even filmed in September and not October. And it's like these women are like manufacturing fights just to make themselves get more screen time. So there's been a loss because I don't relate to that. I know women that I I go to dinner with them and I'm like, how are you handling, um, you know, your spouse at home all the time, managing your business, trying to co-parent while having children at home who are sucking your Wi-Fi. Those are the things that a housewife should be talking about because those are most relatable to all the other, um, you know, everybody else in the country. But instead, now we have women who they're, they're, there's no commonality. The, their struggles in their life are so absurdly different than all of us that we can no longer relate and it makes it difficult to watch. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, they are just consistently pitted against each other. And I'm waiting for, and a lot of my audience has seen it, and I'm sure yours as well, people are slowly starting to wake up to the fact that like, you know, as my grandmother says, they're paid to be bitches. It's, it's like they're paid to fight. And it's uh, Potomac is a great example of that. And I, it's just not the type of TV that I want to see. This show is a little bit lighter. Now, granted, they have their moments. Dorinda was extremely aggressive, but I feel like this one, I can still get some entertainment value out of it. Um, but like New Jersey and OC are this lost to me because it's too much just women being pitted against each other. And I, I need more people to see that, I think, for there to be some type of a change. I agree. Um, I also wonder, you know, there are those of us that have been watching from the first season, and not like we binged five episodes in a weekend, like we've actually been watching since the first season. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of us who've been watching from the beginning have kind of have some housewives fatigue. Absolutely. There's a, a group of younger people that have just started to watch it, and they have a totally different perspective and they're um, they're eager to see scenes where it's like two. I almost feel like there's a this newer audience loves these like moments where they feel like it's the Golden Girls. Uh, it's like the Golden Girls meets roller derby, <laughs> where in their minds it's the, in they they perceive these women as really old, right? Like mm-hmm. Ramona is so old, and we like to see her in these absurd outfits having over the top fights. And like I said, like, uh, I just think that those of us who've been watching from the beginning, we, we miss those, um, those smaller moments because it, it said so much more about who they were as a person and the dynamics of their really relationship and where we are in the world than a dumb fight. It's like, yep. it, there's so much more to unpack if you let people have a quiet moment where they have an earnest conversation about something meaningful to them. 
Yeah, and like the proof in that too is, you know, we rarely see these women at home. And when we do, it's just to see them confront somebody else. Rarely. Now, I can think of Sonia as an example, but like, you know, that could be a questionable storyline. But um, rarely do we see them actually like engaging in home life or talking to anybody in their life other than what's going on on the show. And it did maybe, not used to maybe, be like that at all. But, but maybe it's because they've been on the show for so long. Like you and I have said before, in terms of like Orange County, like we get it, like Tamara, like we got it. Like we know her life story. Nothing changes year to year. We feel like we have a mm-hmm. good handle on who she is, how she reacts in situations, what's important to her. And so over time, if you have a franchise where there's not a lot of movement in terms of the cast, there's not much more to tell. And some would say like, um, you know, I, I, producers may say, you know, we get great. We get some grief because we're not getting more of their personal stories, but there's not much more to tell. They already said in season three that this happened. And then in season four, they opened up about that, but they're not willing to open up anymore. So you're kind of at the mercy of how much somebody is self-aware, which none of them really are and open, which some of them not are not completely open. All those things have to kind of be in sync for you to have this glorious season. And unfortunately some people are, more apt to do that than others. Um, typically, I think it's somebody who's fresher to the show, who's more willing to do that. But then you have the the OGs, and they, you know, they're not. They're like, I've been doing this song and dance for a long time, and I don't really need to put in that much effort because I make this amount of money now. I'm locked and loaded in, and they also believe, like all members of a lady menudo, that they are not expendable. So they put in little mm-hmm. effort and they get paid all this money. And then I think the, the crews of these shows are angered because they're like the person that gets paid the least and is most unfamiliar with the dynamics of the show is the one showing up on time and putting in their best effort where the person who's getting paid the most is putting the least amount of effort in and it's unfair and it makes their job not as fun. Well, I've been saying for years to echo that, that these OG housewives have, uh, you know, hold, held the shows hostage creatively for a very long time. I, I've been screaming about this forever, and I think it still applies for who's left. But I want to get your take on uh, Leah now, as she's the new one, blah, blah, blah. I like her, but I'm worried that we're going to, the ego is getting too big. Right. I think that's an, an, like a, a considerably reasonable. <laughs> concern um i think this happens a lot a first person comes out of the gate and you're like this is you know we have had the same people for years and years and years in new york so it's really nice to see a fresh face somebody who's young somebody who's a more like um got an edgier job edge i mean the fact that she's got this apparel line that's really kind of like street based is kind of cool because then you have ramona who is this like um sort of what brick and mortar kind of business and she's kind of um still lives in the mindset of like um you know like an old school mentality about certain things definitely her political positions some of her social positions are a little bit more dated than this fresh-faced girl who's like a little bit more modern and she her daughter is like young and adorable and she's got this really unique and modern take on raising a child with somebody that you never married. And it's like Ramona's like of the mindset that you get married and you raise the child to be, you know, in, of this faith and go to this school and et cetera. So you have two women who have, have only one child. And I think that although Leah was younger, she was 
light years ahead of Ramona in terms of being um, progressive in her belief system. Mm -hmm. And so that was great television. I like to see the dynamics between these two because Ramona took this approach like, I'm going to be like your mother and I'm going to give you life advice that you really need. And Leah's like, lady, I've been around the block 14 times. Like, you don't need to give me any advice. (laughs) And um, I'm doing just fine. And so that reminds me of those first years of Orange County where I'm like, this is refreshing and this is cool. Um, But I hope that that continues, that they're pushing each other's perspectives of how to be a modern woman. Um, and I worry that when somebody has too many people in their ear, whether, like I said, it's like the people that encircle them, like their team, their management team, their publicists, the hanger ons, the people that are like in their orbit all of a sudden, now you're on housewives. Like I want to hang out with you all the time and come to your events. And they're obviously, um, they have ulterior motives. Once they get in their ear, they start to second guess the way they acted or the way that they were on camera and Mm. they're, 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 they're being a little bit more judicious in how they communicate with people while they're being filmed. And it takes away from the purity of the process. And so I think it's, you know, it's left to be seen until we kind of see the season play out, but it did kind of um, find it interesting that her agents were, openly negotiating her pay which i think is great in the press yeah i I, it's that's different too and i think that's a modern thing because um i women should always be paid their worth and i do think she has a formidable uh point here that like she comes onto the show and i think people need to understand the the women that are that appear on this show first season are really paid in marbles they really when it comparatively to somebody who's an OG, they really get paid not a lot of money and they are doing an enormous amount of filming and their whole lives have been kind of shifted and they're not making a lot of money off their businesses because no one's really seen the show yet with them on it. I mean, and so then you see somebody who's an OG and they're able to pick and choose when they want to film and then they kind of show up and they bark and then they leave and it leaves one feeling like, I have just been through a tornado and I should be paid according to what I've put out. And it's a legitimate argument. And I think that their team, whomever it may be, Leah or another new housewife should address that when they're negotiating. Um, But I do think it's very interesting that they would do it so openly. It's a really interesting negotiation tactic. I don't know if it would necessarily backfire, but I think it's a little bit more, um, it's just interesting to see it play out because that's so different from what we've traditionally seen with these sort of shows. That said, I do feel like they're not as powerful as they used to be. If you were to be a new housewife of a a certain franchise that does enormously well, you were in a real power position. You could align yourself with companies for endorsements. You could um, promote your businesses. But over time, there's the Bethany clause where they get a portion of your sales or your, your income Mm -hmm. from whatever business you're promoting. And they're this, the market's saturated with housewives and there it's difficult for a lot of them to kind of build businesses or excuse me, television careers outside of this, because inevitably they're like, well, I just see you as a housewife. So their, their TV opportunities are really limited. So, um, 
I just think it's all the business behind the housewives. I find incredibly fascinating. I, and that's what we talk about on the podcast, which is why this is such an interesting chat with you because yeah, I try to really keep it smart and it is about business and it is about money and ratings and Bravo. And it's not necessarily about what we see on screen. So this is, I think this is like such a more elevated conversation than what other rundowns of this recap are going to give you. And I mean, your, your perspective is spot on. I do have to tell you that like, it's my experience interviewing all these women over time is that um, there seems to be some sort of like wave to it all. Like they're really, Hmm. they're neophytes in the beginning and they're just really so green and they're, they're, they're eager for information and advice. And then they're on the show for maybe two or three seasons and they're at their peak and they're like, I am the shit I am, I'm riding high. The world is my oyster. Like I am going to be killing it, nailing it for years to come. I don't know who's telling them that, but they're in their ear. And then the wave kind of comes down and then they start to shift and they're like, crap, like they're looking at new talent. And maybe I am perceived as a little less interesting because my kids are now in high school or college or that my husband and I have separated or that I'm not as attractive as I used to be, I mean, in their own minds. So then the wave, it kind of comes down. And so we have seen this happen so many times that we're all kind of numb to it. So that when somebody comes right out of the gate in the early seasons and we can see their ego starting to like gotten to go up, we're like, you know, it's almost like we're the parents of 25 children. And, you know, it's like, our, our, our 17th child is graduating from high school and feeling like I'm going to take over the world. And we're the skeptical parents that are like, slow your roll, sister. You still got to like graduate from college, get a good job, like, right, right, right. et cetera, et cetera. I always kind of feel like that. And it's, so um, I, I have noticed in the last couple of years of interviewing people that I get the sense way more that the, that, that, that particular shift, that paranoia, like, am I going to be offered the job again? Am I less interesting is becoming more prevalent. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, well, I don't know. It it seems to me that that's why we see the uptick in the crazy fights. It's because they're all kind of moving towards that place of paranoia. Like, am I enough to be on the show? And if I'm not, am I going to get a call in the, in the, in the middle of the day, like Teddy Mellencamp and my whole life will go back to suburbia and I may have a new house that has an enormous mortgage and I'm not going to be able to pay it now. So now I'm going to have to sell it and I'm not going to be able to get the attention that I get at the restaurants, which I've now become so accustomed to, and I need it like a drug. And I think, um, they, they, they really freak, freak out. Yeah. Now, I want to get your take on someone who walked away from it all, though, Tinsley, and uh, the effect this had on Dorinda, but her basically breaching her contract. This was a real problem for her. What do you think of Tinsley and her decision to walk away and how she was treated at the reunion? I think Tinsley's smart because she got out of it what she needed. I don't think she overstayed her welcome. I think she went on the show because she needed an uptick in her uh, press. So she could kind yeah. of figure out her next business move. I mean, she has had success in developing like bag lines in Japan because there was a period of time where 
Japanese women were infatuated with Paris Hilton and Tinsley Mortimer. They were just like, that is the epitome of glamour is this blonde American girl. So she did have a lot of success for that. And then she moved to Palm Beach after her divorce and she dated this guy and he wasn't that great to her. And I think she was at a pivot moment in her life where she was like, I have to come up with my next plan. And I think that the housewives was a really good, um, kind of, uh, middle ground like okay I'm going to use this as my opportunity to pivot myself so I can see what other options I have in the process of doing so she happened to meet this guy and you know she's really at a point in her life where she just wants to be married and have a family and the truth is she doesn't need the fame like they need it because there was a point in her life where she was far more famous than all of these women probably combined right Mm -hmm. because when you come down to it the Bravo network is pretty niche. Like the people of Bachelor Nation are way, 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 way more well known. You know, like we we don't realize that. Because I don't we, realize that myself. We, we watch these shows and we know who they all are. But if you go out in the world and you're like, give me all the, the seven cast members of Real Housewives of blah, blah, blah. Not many people can name all of them and know exactly what's going on in their lives, but they can tell you the three top finalists of the season of The Bachelor. And mm-hmm. they've got a much wider audience because you have people that are watching from 16 years old to like 60. Um, so, and that's why you see Bachelor contestants get an enormous amount of social media followers right away as soon as they're on the show. And you don't see the same for a housewife because it's a pretty niche channel. Um, so, That's so um, interesting because I'm not part of the bachelor nation. So to me, I, I just, I don't have that perspective vice versa with them as your, to make, you know, to your point with the housewives. That's, I've always felt like I've missed out on something, but it seems to be bigger than I thought. I really missed out. Oh, the bachelor. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. I mean, people, how many people are watching cable? I mean, Right, not, right. not a lot, actually. I mean, even if I have a show and I'm like, oh, I have this great documentary on HBO Max, people are like, oh, for Christ's sake, how do I get, get to HBO Max? True, um, true, true. Or Amazon Prime, like what? But now more people, because of COVID especially, they're totally dialed into a lot of streaming media. And so the network old standard shows are less interesting. I mean, the ratings are not like they used to be for a lot of those Bravo shows. And like I said, it's a very niche kind of network mm-hmm. and shows. Um, and I forget why I even got to this point anyway. Well, um, Tinsley. We were talking no, about Tinsley. Tinsley. So yeah. Tinsley got what she wanted out of it because um, I think she thought, well, uh, what's my next career move? But in the process meets this guy. And truly what she wanted at this part of her life is to be married and to have a family because she's already had success in many other ways these women haven't. So she doesn't need the show anymore. And the, I think on a cellular level, there's a part of that which infuriates people like Dorinda because it's like she needs this show because she doesn't have a backup plan. So to see somebody who already has access to wealth, who has connections to society. I mean, it, people have said to yeah. me, Tinsley actually looks at those women as like white trash with money. I don't know if that's true, but if it is true, it makes sense to me. So that's a part of it. But I do think that that was why the reunion was great, because you got a window into what was happening off screen. And it does make sense that Dorinda would be infuriated that John would ask Scott for money, because that's picking away at an image that maybe she had curated, that she's Mm -hmm. this like wife of a 
of a person who's enormously successful in the political circles, very well respected, that she hobnobs with people that are diplomats and politicians. And now she's with a dry cleaner who is smarmy and sweaty and shows up at all the parties because he likes TV time. And that maybe he doesn't have the success that he projected and that behind her back, he would be asking the fiance of a girl that she just doesn't like because she hates that she has well, maybe what she doesn't have. And, yes. and that it was a violation to her because John never told her and that this girl would, would, would bring it up on camera. And I believe it was like early in the season. And we saw behind the scenes moments where she's screaming into a phone from yeah, I this think, was previous season, the, pre, the trip. That, oh, yeah. The Mexico that was trip. like really, really infuriating right. to her. But then for her to bring it up at the reunion was like, Oh my God, this is embarrassment beyond embarrassment for most of these women. They want to project a certain image. I mean, the truth is there's very few of them actually live the lives that you would expect when you're like, if any of us in any town, as you're sitting here, like the real housewives of Paducah or, you know, Montgomeryville or wherever you live. And you're like, Oh, I would want to find somebody who lives in one of the biggest houses is married to one of the most successful people has 2.5 kids, a dog, a, a fence, whatever they are living the life. The truth is we have no idea how successful people are. People could have a big home, but they could be living on credit cards for all we know. And many and so do. I know a lot of them. They show up on the show and now they've painted themselves into a corner because they're like, I have to maintain this image. And so now they're putting themselves into more. I, I Lots of housewives uh, you will hear later on, like, I spent $25,000 on a birthday party because I needed to maintain this image that I'm wealthy. So I deserve the spot on this show. Absolutely. And so they kind of lose their, their way. And, um, I, I don't know, like I said, all the stuff that happens behind the scenes is so fascinating to me. So I think she had cultivated this image. I think that it was hard for her to feel like people were pecking away at that. And maybe it wasn't what she had, had, um, presented, and I think it's infuriating to someone like Dorinda at the time to see someone say, uh, you know, I'm walking away on my own choice and not somebody saying you you're not going to get your contract renewed. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. if we're working at our at our own offices of whatever company that we work for, if you're white knuckling it every day, am I going to get fired today because I have imposter syndrome or whatever it is like I'm maybe they're going to fire me today because I'm not I know I'm not doing the job. And then you have a coworker there that's like, you know, I think I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to take some time off. And then I got this amazing job at like AOL or I don't know why I just said that, but like something, you know, like a tech company or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, there is a, th- a part of people innately in the human condition that gets angered by that. Like I am in a oh, perpetual yeah. state of paranoia and this dip who like walks around the office at, at a snail's pace is just going to walk away on their own by their own decision and don't, and they don't, they're not worried about a backup plan. How nice for you. Well, I don't really live that way. And I think that that's at the heart of what happens when mm-hmm. some people leave on their own volition. And for those that kind of are pushed out the door. Yeah. And so many are pushed. I think the majority of them are, I don't believe anyone other than maybe like a Bethany that they've made a decision to not return. So I don't buy into any of it. Now, the Teddy was up front. That was about the only thing I enjoyed that she did, but 
I, you know, I respect that. Now, before I let you go, we've covered every housewife through the reunion except for Luann. Luann is now being branded as the sober voice of the show. What do you make of this? <laughs> um, she had a good season. I think Lou had a really I mean, I good season. So. I think that there's something that's, um, you know, it's a nostalgia factor. I think a lot of people, I think people like to feel like they're still dialed into the old days in some way, but they hate Ramona because she does not represent the modern woman in a lot of ways, but also no. doesn't seem to appreciate the job. So I think that there was an aspect of Luann that although she's had moments where you're like, you're diabolical, there seemed to be an ounce of gratitude there in a way that we had never seen. And that made us feel comfortable. Like we can have her around because uh, although she's not, doesn't seem to be self-aware in all these scenes, she's grateful for the job. And it ties us back to the yesteryear of like when she was in the brownstone with Rosie, her housekeeper and made mm -hmm. Bethany call the limo driver by her or call her by her first name. It pulls us back to those days. Um, and I think that that's why Luann, we enjoyed seeing her this season, but you know, if see, next season she goes back to Tom or has some dick boyfriend, we're not going to feel as so patient. But it's all relative because you have all these people. And when, like, one is a total monster, or we had two, like Ramona had her moments and Dorinda had her moments, suddenly you think that the other person who was crazy two seasons ago seems somewhat normal. It's, <laughs> like, we're comparison, at, yeah. it's like we're working at an insane asylum. It's true. And you have one person who, like, maybe they're on the line. Maybe they don't need their meds all the time. And you're like, you don't belong here. You're normal. But if you put them out in the world, you'd be like, that person's batshit crazy. It's true. Yeah. Well, you've got Ramona burning down places and uh, ravioli being thrown, Dorinda getting in people's face, screaming and yelling. Yeah. I mean, if Luann just sits there and drinks, it, it, it looks good. <laughs> I would have liked, okay. So like example, Ramona having the party with the 50 friends at a restaurant. I think that scene would have been much more interesting if that was held at someone else's home. So let's say Lucia Huang, who was the, the woman who um, Sonia said, I've known Lucia for way longer mm -hmm. than Ramona. Let's say Lucia had hosted that party and we had a window into a penthouse into New York or a Hamptons home. And there are all these women there with these faces. And Dorinda and Sonia are having a conversation in the foyer and she's like, I can't believe we're in Lucia's home when she's known me since, you know, Quincy was a baby and that you're acting like these women are your real friends when you and I both know they're only here for you because they like the attention that comes with it. Wouldn't that have been a more compelling scene if it were in someone's private home and not some restaurant? Because by having it in a restaurant, it felt fabricated and it didn't feel authentic and it felt like they perceived themselves as television stars. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been screaming about this all season. We we didn't see enough of the city. And I don't mean restaurants. I, I, this is, I agree with you. Uh, why, why weren't we in a location like that? Why was so much of what they did in groups outside of the city? Uh, I, it's, that was another thing that was lost on me this season. Context. But yeah, context. And I want to I want to see a franchise and get feel like I got a feel of like where they are in that city. Like, I want to so see true. 
brownstones. I would, because they always said Sex in the City in New York was like another character. I want the city to be the, the next character. Of course. And there's so damn much to capture. My God. I mean, yeah. they've got such an advantage over other cities like like Dallas. I mean, it might be a little bit more difficult. Potomac. I mean, what what is Potomac other than like neighborhoods? I mean, New York has such a backdrop to take advantage of. Come on. I know. Anyway, Kate, this was fun. Thank you for running through the show with me. Um, you know, I just love your POV. I, I think you think about it even deeper than I do, which I, I love because sometimes I feel like I, I go too, too much. I'm just glad that somebody else is using their brain when watching these shows. Well, I hope I didn't talk too much. I just feel like I get fired up about it. I'm like, wait, 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 what happened to the old, like the right. old episodes? I know. No, because no, your perspective is so smart because we, we're not idiots. We don't take things at face value here. We re, we know that there are producers making money. The show makes money and it's like a, it's a full on machine. And, but also it's like they're all operating car dealerships. You know, we're all going to go to get so a Range Rover but we're going to have a totally different experience. Yeah. The salespeople are different. Not everybody gives us water bottles. Some of the air conditioning units are going to be blown out. It's a totally different kind of way of looking at it. Yeah. Yep. A real way. That's what it's all about on this podcast. I love it. <laughs> all right, Kate, where can people find even more real talk? So my podcast is called Reality Life with Kate Casey. I cover way more than Bravo. Um, I do a ton of um, interviews with reality talent, executive producers and directors of reality shows, docuseries and documentaries. And uh, I also put out a list each week of what to watch. So if you're like, Christ almighty, like I'm sick of this show. Uh, I'm going to give you a list every week of things that are, are, are must watches during the week. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at, at Kate Casey. I tweet about shows and during shows all week long. My Instagram is at Kate Casey CA and I'll tell you who I'm interviewing, what I'm watching, um, throughout the week. And I have a Patreon with bonus episodes. That's patreon.com backslash Kate Casey and a Facebook group reality life with Kate Casey, where people like to talk about the shows that they're watching and, I really encourage people to jump into it because we are all talking not just about shows, but the other podcasts that we're listening to and the books that we're reading. It's a place where I encourage collaboration and, um, and sharing. And if there's one last thing I just want people to listen to, it's this. There are so many people that work in this podcast industry who work incredibly hard very hard. And Grant is an example of it. And if you only understood the time that he takes to put this show together, and um, if you could do us all a favor and to leave us reviews on iTunes, it's enormously helpful, but especially to Grant, because he is head and shoulders above a lot of people and has been doing this for a long time. And he deserves the, the recognition that he gets. Wow. Okay. Thank you very much. That's big words. Thank you. You're right up there. You're a huge pro and I admire the work you do. And this is why we're friends. So thank <laughs> you. Cause it's, you know, we, we, you get it, you get it. Thank you really. And I I'll echo you, uh, please yeah, join her Facebook group because I'm on there too. And it's one of the best ones for real. So it's, it's worth it. Oh, thank you. All right. My thanks to Kate, more rants to come. Thank you very much. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.